Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I love it. Church, who's your one this morning? Who, who is it that you know that's in your family, in your friends, your community, in this world that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who is your one? Bill Bright, leader of Campus Crusade for Christ for so many years, a mission-sending agency with college students that sent them out all over the world, said this, that it was his summation that after millions of surveys taken all over the world, here's what his conclusion was, that 98% of those who profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, do not actively invite people to follow Jesus. 98%, in fact, David Platt, another wonderful pastor and leader in, in America of churches, and he would say this, that over nine out of every 10 believers, over nine out of every 10 believers have not and will not share the gospel and invite people to follow Jesus in their lifetime. And church, I think, I think of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in North America. And do you know what their stat is on baptism? That there is one baptism a year for every 60 members in the church. And I begin to look at, I begin to consider all these numbers that are thrown away. And here's what I know to be true there's something missing in the life of the church in America today. And what's missing is that, that question of who is your, who's your one? And I begin to ask this question, why? Why do we see what's going on? Why do we see communities where there's more and more churches, but there's also more and more lost people? And here's what I believe. I believe when it comes to gospel conversations, this is the answer, that we have re relegated sharing the gospel to being an option for a believer rather than a biblical step of obedience. That sharing the gospel for you and I who are in Christ is an option and not a biblical matter of obedience. We view the gospel conversations as awkward and fail to realize the amazing joy of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And you say, well, Anthony, sum it up. Why is it that we don't share our faith? You ready? I honestly believe this because there is a great fear for you and I to step outside of our comfort zones. He's saying, what's the one thing? It's right there. Because the moment we step outside of what's comfortable to us, there's the fear of sharing the gospel with somebody and them rejecting us, when in actuality, they're rejecting Jesus. There's this fear that once we step outside of our comfort zones, that we might mess up in sharing the gospel with someone, so then condemning them to hell for all eternity, as if the sovereignty of God and his pursuit of an individual and their salvation was based on us anyway. But so much happens when we step outside of this comfort zone. Here's the question I have about your faith and mine. If you and I hold to a faith that never pushes us outside of what is comfortable to us, our comfortable so zone, let me ask you this question. What kind of faith do we have? And more likely, what's happened all over America is that we're not speaking of faith, but we're speaking more of a fantasy that you and I have created to where our comfortableness, our comfort zone is at the center of the universe and not the Lord's. 
You say, if you wet is this great problem facing the church and communities and people not hearing the gospel, I honestly believe it's our unwillingness to step outside of what is comfortable for us. And so the question this morning must have an answer. Is there an answer to the fears that we have about sharing the gospel? And this morning, again, it is our prayer to allow Jesus to begin to move sharing the gospel in our lives from the awkward to the most amazing of conversations that you and I will ever have. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And how we're going to do that this morning is just marching through Scripture, walking through Scripture and studying Scripture. Luke, chapter 15, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. By the way, again, don't you love labels? Don't you love judgment cast upon people? And sometimes if we're not careful, the church is the worst at this. But the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, see see the difference there, the dichotomy there? You have sinners and tax collectors, and now you have Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious people, the church of that day. And I love this word, they muttered. You know what that word in the Greek means? They complained loud enough to be heard. Y'all ever known somebody to mutter? Don't you just hate muttering? complaining loudness so somebody could be heard. Man, I t- I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that some of my life. And he says this, here's what they muttered. This man, talking of Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. In a sense, what their claim is against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. By the way, don't take this as a compliment. This is a registered complaint. This is a registered condemnation against Jesus. And my question is, is why were the Pharisees and the teachers of law, man, why were they so bothered by Jesus befriending sinners. And here's the problem. They took passages in the Old Testament that talked about enticement of sin like Proverbs chapter one and they weaponized it against people who didn't look like them, who didn't act like them and who didn't believe like them. They weaponized scripture, misapplied scripture to sinners and tax collectors. And that day, can I mention something to you just real quick? Do you know that it's far easier to preach against culture than it is to get outside the walls and reach culture? Anybody can preach against it in a place like this, but it is far harder and far more worthy to get outside of these walls and to reach the culture. That's not what we're seeing right here on behalf of fat Pharisees and teachers of the law. In fact, let me show you one such passage. In Proverbs chapter one, verse 10 and verse 15, the Bible says, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Verse 15, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their past. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of law have taken this passage and pretty much as an invitation to say to hell with all sinners and tax collectors. We have nothing to do with them rather than taking as an exhortation to not be enticed by sin. Proverbs chapter one is a warning not to find yourself following the way of sin and not to be enticed and ensnared to sin in life. Now, I want you to note something about Jesus as he's befriending these tax collectors and sinners as they were called. And know this about Jesus, every room he walked into, he was always the moral authority. He was never in a position to be enticed by sin. Rather, every situation, every friendship he created was to engage sinners with the gospel. Church, can I tell you what's missing a lot of times? Is you and I must have the passion to engage sinners and tax collectors 
people who are lost without Jesus with the gospel. And let me tell you where that's not gonna happen for the majority. It's not gonna happen in here. It's gonna happen out there. One of the common things that I hear from the church when we say, man, why, man, why aren't you sharing your gospel, sharing your faith? People say, I don't know anybody who's lost. Let, let me share something with you, church, you ready? That's a you problem. That's a you problem. Listen, the Jesus we serve, the Jesus who has saved us was the very man who was known as a friend of sinners. And the question becomes, are you and I friends of sinners? To my count, there are five different passages in the New Testament where Jesus was called out for befriending people who were labeled as sinners or tax collectors. And I love what Kevin DeYoung says. I love his writings. And he said this, Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or he enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those who were immoral, immoral. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith and trust in him. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are you? Am I? Who's your one? Who's your one that doesn't know the Lord today? Are you a friend of sinners? Watch as the scripture carries on here. And verse three says, and then Jesus told him this parable. Now a parable was a short story that had some great spiritual significance and truth in it. And here's the parable he told the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, the answer to that for anybody, especially in that agrarian day, would be absolutely. A good shepherd always goes after a lost sheep, absolutely, because there was a lot on the line for the shepherd. In fact, it was his reputation, his name, his livelihood was on the line. If he were to lose a sheep, never to be found, he would be punished and penalized the price of that sheep and it would forever stain him. So man, for the shepherd, a good shepherd, any time a sheep was lost, of course the answer would be yes, we would go find the sheep. Now there's two words in this passage that I want us to camp out on as the challenge from the text today for you and for me, you ready? It's the word leave, it's the action verbs, you ready? It's leave and go after. And this is on part of the shepherd, to leave and to go after. I love this, according to one count, the Gospels record 132 contacts between Jesus and other people. Six were in the temple, four were in the synagogue, and 122 of Jesus' interactions with other people happened outside of what we would call today the church building. 122 of them. You know what I love about that? Is that Jesus modeled with his life what it was to leave and to go after people who didn't know him. It's a challenge for you and I today to leave our comfort zones, to leave our, our fears behind, and to go after the one. It is the call of God on every believer's life to leave and to go after to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, how he clothed himself in flesh, made his dwelling among us, the death of Jesus on the cross for you and me, and the grave he emptied to take the good news of the gospel to everyone that God 
gives us an influence over in this life. But here's the question, who's your one? Who's your one in your family? Who's your one when it comes to your friends? Who's your one as a classmate? Who's your one neighbor? Who's your one boss? Who's your one employee? Who's your one teammate? Who's your one acquaintance? Who's the one homeless guy? Who needs Jesus? Who's the one lady broke down on the side of the road that needs Jesus to love on her? Who is your one? And the question becomes, why leave? And why go after? Why, why, what's the purpose? What's the heart behind leaving and going after? Well, I'm gonna wrap our core values as a church. We have three core values, you ready? To love God, to love people, and to make disciples. And that's our heartbeat. Everything we do, everything we plan, everything we budget for, man, has to hit those three areas or we don't do it in the life of our church. So let's wrap that into answering this question, why leave and why go after? Well, number one, we love God. And we love God not just with our lips, right? We love God with our lives and therefore, things that God says to do are not a matter of option or opinion, are matters of obedience for those of us who love him. Now listen to what God in the flesh has to say about one of the very purposes of our life. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, here's what Jesus says, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always to the very end. Let me ask you, church, are you making disciples? Since when did sharing the gospel and living out the gospel become an option for those who love him? But it has today. We love God. That's why we leave and go after. But we also love people. That's why we love and go after. And why do we love people? Because God loves people. No matter what they look like. No matter what they've done, no matter what they believe, no matter where they're going, God loves people. We know that through his word. Now, what I'm fixing to dive into is culturally unpopular. And spiritually, honestly, it's, it's gut-wrenching. I want you to hear me, church. You ready? The greatest threat of humanity is hell. Hell being the reality of a life without Jesus and an eternity without him as well. Church, I need you to hear me. Hell is not a fantasy contrived by the church. Hell is a biblical reality that Jesus taught quite often on. Now, if you're visiting for the first time, this always happens to you, doesn't it? You visit the first time, and all you hear is hellfire damnation, right? Or a really good offering push. And so I wanna say this to you. And we just, we preach the whole counsel of the word. And today, we can't talk about who's our one without the realization of what matters for that one. And what life without Jesus, what it looks like. It's not only hell for eternity, and it's hell now for the life lived without Jesus Christ. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, listen, Jesus never said that. Jesus would never say that. And I wanna say this respectfully, I mean, I disagree, and so does Jesus. Listen to this. 
Jesus doesn't only reference hell in his preaching and teaching in the Bible. He goes to great lengths to describe its reality. Jesus teaches that hell is a place of eternal torment in Luke 16, 25, of unquenchable fire in Mark chapter nine, verse 43, where the worm does not die in Mark chapter nine, verse 48, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, 42, and will form a place where there's no return. And even Jesus warns them to tell their loved ones about it in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Jesus calls hell a place of outer darkness in Matthew 28 or 25, 30. Jesus talks more about hell in his book than he does heaven. And he describes hell more vividly than he even does heaven. Hear me, church, there's no denying that Jesus knew of, believed in, and warned against the reality of hell. Now, everybody okay out there? Y'all gonna be all right? I relish nothing at the thought. I relish nothing to preach about such a place. Even the thought of it bothers me. The preaching of it leaves a place in my stomach, not because I'm afraid of what anybody says, because of the reality of people's hearts and lives for all eternity, just, man, it gets me. But doesn't mean that hell's not real. Doesn't mean that we just wish it away. We push it to the side. Here's what I jotted down. The church acts as if hell is a fantasy while affectionately acting as if heaven is the only eternal reality. And such application of these thoughts and truths has devastated our passion to share the gospel. If we could distract from or wish away hell, then here's the deal, you ready? Then we're not obligated to share with anyone the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Everybody okay? Take a a deep breath out there. All right, this is what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate in Matthew 7, 13. He's speaking of himself. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Listen to his words, and many enter through it. That means when I look out in the community and there's tens of thousands of people in nobody's church, which means thousands upon thousands of which have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I understand this, he's talking about them. And it breaks my heart. In verse 14, he said, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm all right with discipling the few to reach the many so the many may come to know Jesus Christ. And we must understand as a church, it's not just the job of the pastor, but it's every believer who names the name of Jesus Christ to use every bit of their influence to reach the one to reach the one. An American Indian was asked to explain the grace of Jesus. So what he did is he took a pile of leaves and he piled them high. And he picked up just a single earthworm, placed it in the middle of that pile, and set it on fire. Now some of y'all men in this house, that just got you really excited. First time you've listened all day, been just right there, right? You love setting things on fire. That's what he did. And he waited till the flames got right up to where the earthworm was. 
and he reached down in the flames and he picked that earthworm up and here's what he said. He said, that is the way that Jesus saved me. I was 15 years old. I knew what it was like to be on top of that pile. Pile wasn't leaves, it was sin and shame. I knew what it was like to feel the flames of the sin of my life and the wrath that it was incurring of God. But I remember the day at the age of 15 that Jesus reached down and he picked me up. Listen, he saved me. Reached down and he saved me from all the reality of my life and my sin. And hell was no longer on the table for my life. I'm so grateful for that day. And you know what's amazing is sometimes I hear guys talk about hell almost with a joy and a glee. Man, I am heartbroken. But I'm telling you, I can't leave you here in this discussion. Because remember what is at the heart of the gospel itself, of the word itself, is that it's good news. And so, man, we can't just leave it on the table that hell is a reality. We've got to realize what God did to redeem us. And that's what we find in this gospel, and that is what we find in this parable that Jesus shares. We can't stop with hell because we have good news. The reality of hell gives way to the rejoicing that is found in the salvation of the one who was lost and now found. Catch what this scene breaks up into. Jesus said this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is saying, man, if you feel yourself in the church and you're righteous, he's not saying all repentance is not for you. He's talking about the arrogance of those who believe there's something they're really not. And he talks about the rejoicing in heaven. And watch what it says here. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, meaning that lost sheep, and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. The reality of hell for a person who doesn't know Jesus gives way to rejoicing. When they become the one who places their faith and their trust in Jesus. And in this passage, we find a threefold rejoicing. You ready? There was the rejoicing of the one who left the 99 to find the sheep. It was rejoicing in the community. He calls everybody, I found it. There's the implied rejoicing that comes on behalf of the sheep who was lost without its shepherd, but now has been found. And there's also a rejoicing that goes on in heaven. And rarely do you see this in the word of God, but there is an event on earth that launches a party in heaven. And that is when you and I go out, find the one and help them to find Jesus and to follow after him. Here's my prayer for Connect Church. Remember, not the building, but the body of believers. Not a program, but the people. Here is my prayer, that you and I will be busy about God's business, and that one of the things we become known for is throwing lunch parties in heaven because we have a heart for people who don't know Jesus. But church, I wanna say this. There is a joy missing for many of your lives. There's a joy that's missing in our church. And I'm gonna tell you, I love our church. I, I, I love Connect Church. Not as much as Jesus, not as much as my family, 
But man, y'all up there on my list. But we're missing the joy in the life of our church. This community is missing joy. And what joy do I speak of? It's the joy of leaving our comfort zones and going after those who don't know Jesus, who've not been saved by him. The call of every believer this morning is to leave and to go after. We love God, we love people, and we make disciples. You say, Anthony, listen, where does discipleship begin? You ready? When one person comes to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew there, and he says, hey guys, throw down your nets. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, listen, you know what your job is? To be a fisher of men. To be a fisher of women. To be a fisher of, of boys and girls. To be the person that God uses to reach the one with the gospel. I came up with an acrostic here that I hope, so how do we accomplish this, Anthony? You say, what, what can I do to reach my one? Well, the F in fish stands for friendship. Guys, I want you to hear me. You can book Nayland Stadium next week. You might find some empty seats. And you know what you can do? You put a stage out there and bring the biggest name you can think of. But you know how you're really gonna reach your one? By starting by building a friendship with them, loving and serving them, caring for them, building a relationship with them. How do I reach my one? Well, here's the second step of that. You intercede for them. Intercede means this, to bring someone to Jesus through prayer. You begin to pray for them long before you present the gospel for them. You begin to pray for them long before you preach to them or proclaim to them. You begin to pray for them. Anthony, how do I reach my one? You make the decision that at the right time, I'm gonna have a spiritual conversation where you share your story, you share the gospel, and you invite them to follow Jesus. And here's the last part of this fish, right? We wanna be fishers of men. Help them to put faith in and to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to make disciples. That's what it looks like for you and I to be used of God to reach the one. And so church, who's your one? Wait a second. One second. I got, I got somebody like, hey, come on over here, David. Man, have a seat, bro. How are you, buddy? Good, Good to see you, man. Hey, listen, man, I wanna, buddy, listen, join our friendship. You watched some balls last night? Uh, yeah, first 59 minutes was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, listen. Last minute. Not so you good. and I can't talk on game day. Yeah. Two weekends ago, I had you at the house and we ate some pork together and, Bad. all right, it's terrible. Yeah, we can't yeah. talk on Saturdays anymore. Well, man, listen, I wanna say this, that past few weeks, we've hung out, our families have hung out. I love coming and meeting you for coffee. I'm lying, I don't like coffee. Just follow me. Um, been a joy. I love our friendship. And man, I told you today, I wanted to buy you a cup of coffee and share with you really just my story. In fact, really the greatest part of, of my story. 
And, and that's Jesus. I mean, I'm not the friend who that ought to be to you if I don't share with you the greatest part of my story. And Man, that part being Jesus. I, I was raised in church a little bit. I was Catholic and we would go on all the important holidays. We made sure we made it then. And uh, I remember growing up and here's my view of God. I kind of had this thought of God as being up on a cloud somewhere, lightning bolt in hand, ready to throw down anytime I messed up. And that was kind of my view of God as I was a kid. I was scared of him. And I didn't want to meet him. I didn't want to know him. I just didn't want to cross him. And I'll never forget, we got a phone call in at the house one day. It was the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry. And uh, he just wept and I said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, uh, was, that was Papa and his heart's in bad shape. They've given about two years to live and there's no more surgeries, no more medicine. He just, he's just gonna die. And that was the closest person we knew. And that was my Papa, a war hero. They flew planes in World War II. And I just loved him. And I remember then seeing my dad cry. And I remember in my life, it had me asking some big questions like, man, who is God? Is he real? Or what happens? What is life all about? What happens after you die? And I'll never forget going over to my papa's house in, in North Carolina. And he, uh, I began to talk with said, Papa, man, how, what happens to you when you die? Do you just become worm food? Do you, do you just rot away? Is there something after here? And you know, as Catholics, we believe there was purgatory and that was pretty scary. And well, what do you think happens? Now listen to my papa and he began to talk about Jesus and there was something different about the way he talked about him. He talked about him like he knew him. And uh, I always remember that. And then I remember papa telling me, Anthony, I, when I die, I'm gonna be in heaven with him. And I thought, well, our Catholic faith doesn't even teach that. You, you can't go right to heaven. You gotta go to purgatory. We're gonna hope to pray you out. And, and, I, and he said, no, listen, I love him and he loves me. I remember thinking, how could you have that type of peace? Well, well, that year, uh, maybe by coincidence, but later on I can see how God orchestrated it all. But I was invited to go to a beach camp, a First Baptist Church in Sevierville. And, uh, and I remember a buddy of ours from the soccer team invited us. And here's what I knew about First Baptist Church of Sevierville. They had the best looking girls in town that went to that church. And even as a lost boy, I didn't even have to pray about it. I thought beach and bathing, I'm there, right? I, I just don't even have to pray about it. And, and I went there expecting all of that. And for the first time heard the gospel. And I, I never heard it that way. God loved us. He sent us son to die for us. And Jesus rose again that I could know him, but I remember my papa did. And I knew I wanted that. And for months I wrestled with a decision and literally in my mind I would go, I don't need Jesus to save me. I'm a Catholic. I'm okay. I don't need to place my, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. I'm okay. But I'll never forget going home from a student night one night. My youth pastor was driving me home. I said, Scott, I need to, I need to give him my heart, my life. I need to know Jesus like my papa did. And I need to know him. And so he pulled over at what was then Cresswell's, the BP gas station there off Dolly Parton Parkway. I said, Scott, I don't want to sit here. I want, I want to get on my knees and I want to ask him to save me. And so I pulled down the tailgate of his little Toyota truck. I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to save me. And David, I want to tell you, from then on out, my story was forever changed. I knew forgiveness that I'd never known peace and joy. Now listen, I'm not perfect, nor was I perfect after then, but I know him by name. I know Jesus has saved me and given me life. I went to church Sunday and they gave me this card, card that's in all of your seats right now. 
And there's some passages of scripture I just love to share with you. Um, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means everybody, the best people we know, right along with the worst. All have sinned, sin being that idea that we've, we've, God said, here's my way. And we said, God, we don't need you. I'm gonna go my own way. And we've disobeyed him. We've rebelled against him, committed treason. Man, we just said, no, God, we don't need you. And we're gonna go our own way. And all of us are guilty. I'm guilty of that. Bible goes on in Romans 6, 23 to say that for the wages of sin is death. That because we've sinned against God, Dave, we've earned separation from him. Not only in our relationship with him here on earth, but in our relationship with him for all of eternity. I love how that passage ends though in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now notice a gift, I couldn't earn it. But the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That means that God saw my darkest of moments, my deepest of sins, the ugliest of sins in my life and saw me even there and he, he loved me. Even despite me, he loved me. The Bible says in Romans ten thirteen that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that day, 15 years old, I called on Jesus and he saved me. And man, the most important part of my story in my life is Jesus. And man, here's the deal. I just have a question for you. Have you ever followed Jesus? Have you ever placed your, your faith and your, your trust in him? What are your thoughts on what it is to follow after him? And, and honestly, what I just did in six minutes, and I timed myself up there less than six minutes now, was had a spiritual conversation that I prepped for a little bit because he's worth it spiritual conversation that didn't happen inside of a church necessarily, but would have been with my one that I'm meeting with now in a Starbucks or Smoky Mountain Express or at a dinner table somewhere. And I shared some scripture, which by the way, is on the back of your invite cards on your seat. And I just shared with him Jesus and my story and some scriptures that point him to Jesus. And then you know what David's gonna say? I know his story, man, yes, I have. It's evident in his life. But I may sit down with another David and he goes, you know, I, I never have. And be honest with you, if you have been hurt or he'll share part of his story. But you know the most time what people say where he is? And I, I really wanna know more about what it is to follow. I got a lot of questions. So you know what I'll say? Man, I'll buy you some coffee next week. Let's do this again. I'll bring my Bible and let's sit down. Let's talk more about what it is to follow after Jesus. Here's my question. Who's your one? Who's your David? The problem with so many of our churches in America, we don't have one. We get lost in the complexity of how many people are lost and, and out of the millions of people who don't know Jesus that we just, man, we just throw our hands up in the air and we fail to recognize the power of one. Who's your David? Who's your one? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.